Hello and welcome to the Chronicle, the official podcast for chroniclesandfilm.com. My name is Paul, I am the editor and the host of this podcast and thank you for once again joining me for this belated uh, fourth episode. I'm not going to go into too much details on the delay of posting this episode and obviously lack of uh, posts on the Chronicle, the Chronicles in Film. There was various reasons but thankfully those reasons have all been sort of solved and I'm slowly back on track and we'll have I'll have a few new reviews on the website and features coming your way. So many do follow me over at the People's Movies, which I'm obviously the, the editor of as well. And many you know I'm also a regular film critic on the internet radio show Scary Monsters and Super Geeks, which is on Video Radio Online every Tuesday. So for this episode, I thought I'll give you a little taste of that show and, and you can hear what I'm going to do is I'm, you're going to hear my section of this week's show, which was which was aired on the 18th of April. So usually on Scary Monsters and Super Geeks, I usually review a couple of films, have a few uh, songs in between, and I finish my segment with uh, a list which we've nicknamed the Shindigs list. And like myself and the host, Grant Telford, we, we both is a very big, massive uh, film noir fans. So for that week's episode, I decided to look at the core segment of, I would say, a film noir, that is the femme fatale. So first, you'll hear me uh, talking a little bit, a brief description of what a femme fatale is. And then you hear one of my old reviews, which you can actually hear read on uh, Chronicles and Film or thepeoplesmovies.com, of Gilda, which starring the, the legendary Rita Hayworth. So before the ending... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll end with the list of some of film's best femme fatales. Like I say every week on Scary Monsters, it's not a, it's not a complete list. But what I maybe do is I maybe go into more detail in a later on on Chronicles and Film. What I will say is this is one of the longest episodes I've done so far, and all cities do enjoy. That's right, hold on tight, Scary Monsters and Super Geeks is happening tonight, Paul Devine of the People's Movies, Wild Boys. Wild Boys, how you doing, Grant? I'm living the dream, Paul. Um, I thought I'll do uh, this week just all about Femme Fatales, where, yeah, I will have a review. Uh, I will have my shindigs, which is all about some of the greatest Femme Fatales in film history. Uh, and also... Just some basically different. I mean, we both like film noir, so I thought, why not take some for the film noir? Uh, maybe I'll do some more film noirs uh, sometime in the future as well. So what what is actually femme fatale? It's a question some people may ask. And it's a term that means fatal woman in French, which refers to, obviously, a woman who is highly attractive in a mysterious way, often luring men into dangerous and compromising situations. And obviously, this leads to their downfall. And a femme fatale is someone, she's very magnetic, irresistible, and she leaves that sensational first impression, which usually captures the attention of both the protagonist and obviously us, the audience, as well. And she uses her sexuality as a tool, or if you like to say, even a weapon, to achieve her goals. But does this submit to men's desires? That's the question. The femme fatale is, you could say, it's an archetype, not just from cinema, but also literary as well. Uh, but it's predominantly seen in film, especially the film noir uh, genre. However, prior to this, 
obviously you can go back to the silent form era, you know, the 1910s and 1920s, and there was a term vamp. That's what that's what was used to refer to women who seduced and entranced men, ultimately draining their life force like a vampire, if you like to say. And these women, they they were considered uh, dangerous. And some of the early examples were women get actresses like Louise Brooks, Mary Pickford, Greta Garbo, Fida Barra and Lillian Gish. They were probably the earliest incarnations I could go on and on and on. So, as in anyone that likes a film, no, no worries. The sort of classic femme fatale took shape getting into the 1930s, you know, through obviously your pulpy detective no novels, you know, your Philip Marlowe's and things like that, which obviously later influenced the films that uh, at myself and I know you like film mm. noir group, we don't want to create a love. And these women are not always obviously, women are not obviously commonly considered dangerous. And that's what made these characters very appealing. And personally, it's an, I think it's an essential, these fatales are an essential part of the genre as well. And a woman that's only interested in herself, and but she, she's aware of her bewitching powers, and but she also seems to have questionable motives. As well, and no one can control control her when she even regrets those actions she she's just done, and this is uh, one of those few times when women are actually seen in a negative as a negative character outside obviously certain genres where there is uh, negative female characters, but she's off of course uh, the drive I think is the femme fatale is the driving force of many of the stories, and these femmes they they. they Outside of film and literature, they've actually existed far beyond the 1930s. You could go back to the cultures where many women lured men to their deaths. I mean, think of the Greek mythology. Excuse my pronunciation, I think it's Circe, or Circe, as in C-I-R-C-E. Circe. Circe, beg your pardon, who turned uh, uh, as Odysseus, as men into pigs. Odysseus. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got the sirens who enchanted sailors to their watery deaths. And here's another one, crack one. Uh, is it Clemenstria? Clytemnestra. That one. Uh, could have been worse, it could have been Jared Leto. Uh, who deceived uh, her husband, Aggie Mant, uh, into a false sense of security during uh, the Trojan War. So I could really go on and on about uh, femme fatales, but I've, you can even go back to. The original femme fatale, Eve. Mm-hmm. When you go back to the Bible, you just need to see the story of Adam and Eve, and that just shows you where the femme fatale goes all the way back to. So I thought oh, I'll go back to one of my old reviews, a review I did back in 2016 uh, at the People's Movies, is Gilda. And Gilda, when I, when I actually created the other website, I used to have uh, Sinhouse back in 2009. I, I seen it basically as a a personal project which I nicknamed my cinema education. This was all about learning life outside, you know, your latex superheroes, your alien invaders, and which I think plague mainstream cinema these days. And this was, it was seen as a door and it truly opened my eyes to the wonderful world, uh, which took us also back in time. I will say at the time, Especially uh, black and white films, I was I I seem to ignore them in my early days, and also until now I will adore them as well, and obviously now I'm under the spell of her, her, her Gilda, her name is Gilda. So this starred the wonderful Rita Hayworth, 
And Gilda was actually my first foray into the Criterion collection. And that was part of the first releases here in the UK. And the Criterion collection, if anyone knows, and anyone uh, uh, collects any of these special uh, pre-releases will know Criterion collections been in America for decades. Uh, we, we've had a lot of great uh, you know, distributors like uh, Eureka Entertainment, Arrow, to name a few who have, have done their best to sort of get close to uh, the Criterion. So, there was a poster in the film that says there's never a woman like Gilda, nor I would actually say he like Hayworth either. And she she was regarded, if you like to say, one of Hollywood's first sex symbols, strikingly beautiful. She has a femme fatale in the high disorder. And she was oozing her charisma. And she lit up the screens and she could dance well, which unlike many of the actors of today. And Gilda was an important film in many ways. It was one of the first films in the competition in the in inaugural uh, Cannes Film Festival back in 1946. As it was seen by many, uh, this film was also seen as many as one of the pioneers of the what they called the sexual revolution of Hollywood films, as well of the t- of the day. So comparing obviously modern day films, Gilder is very tame in uh, comparison. But this is this was actually pulled was World War Two, nineteen forty six, and so everyone was still, I would say it was a bit still conservative. So even the suggestion of showing too much love, revealing too much shoulder or leg, that could, that would have caused an uproar, and it, it won't. But what it did was it opened doors to the future films and for the time this film was quite dark and was twisted of love empowerment and enchanting temptress who can melt men's hearts and entice them with, a, with every whim. There are also suggestions that uh, there is a subtext within uh, Gilda and it was homoeroticism between the film's male leads. It was Johnny who was played by Glenn Ford. who Glenn Ford was a did a lot of uh, film noirs during the decades. And Balin Munson, who was played by George McCready. And from the dialogue, the body limies, the imagery, the film's opening scene are all set in the seedy surroundings of Buenos Aires docks. If you weren't gambling in a sleazy joint, you, you, were, you were looking for a company in an area with dock sailors what, and it asks you that question, was Balin looking for male company? I mean, maybe nowadays be more open to our sexuality, uh, but right up to recently, including the 1940s, it was still obviously a bit of a taboo as well. And even if you portray anyone as, if you say, inverted commas queer, that could have killed people's careers back then. But thanks to the power of the slight, uh, if you like to say, slight suggestion, uh, that sexual perversion, that the Hate Code film abide to was able to get the film its freedom to express itself. So what what was Gilder all about? So it was set in the backdrop of post-World Two, Buenos Aires, Argentina, where we meet Johnny Farrell, who's played by Ford, and he was a he was a young small-time gambler who wins at a backstreet gambling joint, and he's saved by a, being mugged by an older man, Balin Munson, uh, played by McCready. When Johnny makes his own luck again, in an upscale casino, he's brought to the manager's office to meet the casino owner. Lo and behold, is uh, Balin Munson. So after a bit of sweet talking, Balin makes Johnny uh, the casino's manager, and the pair hit it off so well. Uh, Balin introduces Johnny to his wife, and that is Gilda, played by Rita Hayworth, who happens to also be Johnny's former lover, 
So after a while, Balan starts to realise Johnny and Gildan may have a history, obviously between them, and he, and he keeps and he keeps a close eye on both of them. But he tries to control both of the secrets of Balan's past, which do eventually come knocking the door to collect their debt. So Gilda gave birth to the start and Rita Hayworth. Whilst it wasn't our first film, many seen this as the film as our breakout performance of the time and she pushed the boundaries of her sexual prowess for, from an iconic hair flip to a hypnotic music number, uh, Put the Blame on Mammy, which was actually not sung by her, it was actually sung by an, a woman called Anita Harris. And that, this un, it unearthed her vulnerabilities, but it still uses her vampish sexual tension, including a scene where her striptease. And she was the girl that every man wanted to possess and every woman wanted to be. You could say the song revealed Johnny's anxieties, that he struggled to have or even have a handle handle women like Gilda. Like how Balan tried to control Johnny, he did likewise with obviously Gilda. It was a bit of a love-hate relationship between both of them, and that one hinted that might have actually been uh, abusive. And this being given the golden era for film, sadly in reality it was actually an era when men would actually hit women openly, and Johnny was a brooding sadist. You could say to us as a viewer, we, are, we were the sadomasochists, as well, loving every minute of the pair embrace of passion, and equally when they, they emulated each other uh, too. So Gilda was a gloriously brilliant dark film and explored the emotional complexities and dis disenchantment of young love. Very evocative, electric, cynical, repressed sexuality. And it was a different era, obviously. And this may not have been Rita Hayworth's first film, but in the eyes of many, it was the, her and the one only film that leaves us all spellbound forevermore. And that is Gilda. That's right, hold on tight, Scary Monsters and Super Geeks is happening tonight. Paul Devine of the People's Movies is chatting to us about Femme Fatales. Um, Paul? Yeah, uh, so instead of obviously doing a few reviews, I thought I'd extend my shindigs list. As we already know, it's about great Femme Fatales and film. But obviously Femme Fatales, you get them in other genres, like your Bond Girls, Men in Emma, mm -hmm. Femme Fatales... You can go to Austin Powers as well, there's we've been in there, the Femme Fatales. I could go on forever and ever, you know, about these Femme Fatales. The, the, the women, the Femme Fatale women was a, is an essential part of any film. But my last... So, for sorry, the what is an essential part? I think Femme Fatales is an essential part of many other films, especially the film noir, which right. my list is predominantly mm -hmm. all about. I don't think you can have a film noir without, no. without you know. There may be the odd one, but I would say the odd one is probably more films that's not necessarily out-and-out film noirs, maybe inspired by film noirs, you know, uh, like, uh, what was the film? Uh, Rebecca, there's one you could get away with, you know. So I was originally going to start going through the decades. I'll do my best going through, so I'm going to start with the 1940s. Please forgive me, as usual. The list is not a full list, it's not in any order, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be a few who wonder why is it on the list. So I'm going to go to 1944 and Double Identity and Phyllis Decreasing, who was played by the wonderful Barbara Stanwyck. And Phyllis is considered one of the early femme fatales, if not the archetypical uh, one. And she's she was seductive, treacherous, 
very witty and she was also an essay blonde. Everything you expect always from a femme. And, we, and we're under a spell as she walks down the stairs to the beguiling Walter, who was played by Fred McMurray. And we, in this film, we find ourselves in 1930s California, where Walter, he's an insurance man, and he obviously comes to Phyllis's uh, home, where he meets her, and she's a frustrated housewife who just sees dollar signs when uh, when Walter mentions the double identity policy, insurance policy, is mentioned in her case, her husband needs to have an accidental death to get that double identity. So of course she seduces and allows the insurance man to commit her murder and do her whim as well. Some consider this is one of the greatest yep. uh, of the film noirs. Uh, I totally agree. It's, yep. it's definitely, definitely up my top five uh, uh, best noirs. Uh, body heat as well. Yep, that may get mentioned later on. Okay. Uh, next one is Bridget O'Shaughnessy and it's a Maltese Falcon for 1942 and Mary Astor's Bridget some will actually consider this as the original femme fatale when it comes to film noir and this is John Huston's classic uh, film which also starred the legendary Humphrey Bogart as uh, Sam Spade this featured Bridget as the, char- the, t- the character uh, Bridget who may look more conservative in appearance when it comes to you know, your femme fatale and she speaks very so- softly. Whoever, anyone knows, never judge a book by its cover. Sam, on the other hand, he's, he's, he's on to Bridget uh, very early on in the film, knowing that she's no weakling here and she's a bit of a black widow, if you like to say. And uh, Bogart's character, he, he's a private investigator who's looking for the archive artifact called the Maltese Falcon. Well, Sam might know uh, how to deal with the devious criminals that are on his back as well, and a woman he, he can't trust completely. He begins to wonder, is the artifact really a MacGuffin as well? And if anyone doesn't know what a MacGuffin is, a MacGuffin was like a, a term used in storytelling to refer to an object, a person, or a goal that was used to drive a, pot, a plot for, uh, forward. But not also necessarily important in in or of itself, and it's often a, an item that characters in a story are trying to obtain or protect. But it's a specific nature; is not it, It's not as important as the fact of driving the action. So the term is popularised by obviously the legendary, the iconic uh, film Alfred Hitchcock, who used the concept frequently during his films. You know, and the examples of MacGuffins could be like seen in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction, the one ring in the Lord of the Rings and Rosebud Sled and Citizen's Kane as well. So, staying in the 1940s to 1947, it's a lady I've just talked about here. This is Elsa Bannister and Lady from Shanghai. Mm-hmm. That's Rita Hayworth. So, obviously, if you watch Rita Hayworth and Gilder, then you see her as... Her and this one next to uh, Orson Welles, and it, it and it, you get to see the two sides of a fame Vital coin. Welles he's like a man trapped in the, in the web of Elsa, the wife of a attorney who gives who gives him a job, and he takes the job, and he also wants uh, Elsa, and she convinces him he needs she needs to be saved, and he walks right into a trap, and obviously the red. Uh, Locks that Hayworth had in uh, Gilda are gone and now you've got this short, bottle blonde, mature look. But she equally finds 
Wells tangled in her web of deceit and she think make him think she needs she's unhappy in his marriage. And there is a there is a great scene in this film and it's the mirror scene and it's I would say it's considered one of the best scenes in the film noir. I could talk about it but it's a scene I think you actually need to see as well. It's absolute legendary. So I'm gonna go back a year to nineteen forty six and it's uh, Kitty Collins from the Killers. So if there's one femme fatale that is certainly deadly and shameless, it's got to be the beautiful Ava Gardner as Kitty Collins. And this 1946 film was also Burt Lancaster's debut film, and he could not resist her beauty. She could have she could have been a Bond girl as Gardner or as obviously Kitty Collins. And Lancaster, he plays his Swede, who would do anything for her, and she's self-centred. But her, hen- her entrance into the film is also iconic. And she's wearing a little black number with the sleeves, the sleeveless, leaning onto the piano and all eyes are actually on her. And of course, she's obviously in the middle of a murder mystery here. And so she wants all eyes seduced to look in the other way as well. And the next one is from 1944. And that's Laura and Laura Hunt. And the many noirs, the focus, many of the focus of the characters are in present tense. However, Jean Terney's uh, titular character, Laura, is probably the first femme fatale is actually, who is actually dead, but yet she still haunts the men in her life, especially her fiancé, Shelby Car- uh, Carpenter, who's played by another legendary actor, Vincent Price, uh, who, and also the libertine Waldo uh, Lydecker, who's played by Clifton Webb, and even a detective who's investigating her death, Mark McPherson, who's played by Dan Andrews, he's transfixed by Laura, who is actually a painting on the wall, which men who are still obsessed over. You could say this is one of the early films of the, as I like to, a phrase I like to use quite a lot these days, male gaze. And yes, it is a film that highlights that beautiful siren that still causes the damage even in spirit. Another one for the 40s is Vera in the 1945 Detour. And obviously the majority of the noirs feature men who are down in their luck or, or, a, or in a desperate, desperate situation, making them uh, easy targets for the seduction, such as Tom Neal's Al Roberts. And he's a piano player who, who wants to reconcile with his ex-lover. And he decides to hitchhike across the country. But unfortunately, that journey across... Al's bird luck continues as he travels across. He crosses paths with Anne Savage's uh, Vera, who's a very vindictive woman, blinded by greed and only cares for herself and it doesn't attempt to love him. It's a very blatant, it's a very nihilistic and gloomy film as well. So that's the 1940s. That's right, hold on tight, Scary Monsters and Super Geeks is happening tonight. Paul Devine of the People's Movies is chatting to us about femme fatales in cinema. Yeah, so before I go into the 1950s, there's a few of the 1940s ones I'll mention. Another Barbara Stanwyck film uh, she did with Kurt Douglas, The Mother Ivers and The Strange Love, Mother Ivers. Uh, obviously I mentioned Gilda, so you get Gilda Munson, uh, Ray Hayworth. Kathy Moffat of Out of Pass is played by Jane uh, Greer, and then there's uh, Sherry Peaty from The Killing, and then there's uh, Mildred Pierce's uh, Vida Price. So if I'm going to do the 1950s, I have to start with uh, 
which considered one of the greatest film noirs ever made, and that's Gloria Swanson's Norma Des- Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. Whether you obviously agree with not, Billy Wilder's uh, film is the greatest, one of the greatest. It is a masterpiece. It gave us one of the, the greatest femme fatales, as I mentioned, uh, Norma Desmond. You see, I think this is a bit controversial, because yeah. I'm not sure if it's a film noir. Yeah. In that, I don't think there's much in the way of crime yeah. in, in the film, is there? I'd, I'd have to think about that. It's probably about, as I said, mentioned, there is films, mm. there's an arc couple of films here, and my list are not necessarily yeah. the next one isn't necessarily a no war, but it's a psychological yeah, thriller. Has you, elements of yeah. You probably say this is maybe a psychological drama, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is from the war elements yeah, in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you're right in your, what you're saying, you know. But uh, she, I mean, she is immortalized. Uh, not Norma Desmond. She's a very delusional, washed up film star who's living in the shadows of her past. Mm-hmm. Which is a wee bit, uh, I would say, the, the noir part does come in mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. and and she keeps her. Her mind is like a, a prisoner of her, her past. That's another, you know, and that's another one, and she makes her, which makes her a wicked obsessed has been. It's a bit of a Greek tragedy, which I think sometimes is a noir of sorts as well. When she's going back, she's obsessed with the good old days that are now passed her by. She is a one-time silent film actress hoping to make a comeback, but soon she finds out that Hollywood has changed since the last time she's seen the lights. As I said, the next one uh, is Vertigo. Brilliant. Is Judy uh, Barton, played Mm -hmm. by the wonderful uh, Kim Novak. Mm -hmm. As I said, it's not a true film noir. Was it not? I would say it's a psychological thrill with a lot of Mm -hmm. noir elements elements Mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few of the... Hitchcock's films, but he does have a lot who, which are mm. uh, noirs as well. Uh, and obviously, they are inspired by the subgenre. And Kim Novak's portrayal of Judy Barton, I will say, deserves to be on this list. She does play dual roles alongside uh, James Stewart, who was another uh, Hitchcock regular. He plays a character called uh, Scotty. And Scotty becomes obsessed with the mysterious. Uh, Madeline, which is also uh, Novak, later with Judy. And Judy, she's a tragic character, very complex, but things get more complicated by Scotty's actions. And he's an ex-detective and he's suffering from vertigo and PTSD. And Novak's character, she's deceives as much as she's also the victim. Well, as I said, she's not the deadliest of the femme tales on there, but she's not innocent either, as death actually runs throughout this film. I'm actually going to jump a decade to 1970s and it's one of your favourites, if not your favourite, and it's Evelyn Mulray, mm-hmm. uh, Faye Dunaway from Chinatown, mm-hmm. which some will regard as, and when we go into the, the neo-noirs, is yeah. one of the, uh, if not the greatest of mm-hmm. them. And you, I mean, if you're going to have a seductress played by Faye Dunaway, I mean, this one, this film, as I said, is a neo-noir, but it does celebrate its roots in a uh, classic noir, and Jack Nicholson is a private detective who's hired by a, the woman to keep an eye on her husband. But during, obviously, his investigation, he unearths a path of corruption and deceit and an ending which will shock those who are watching it. And her, and her approach, is uh, Faye Daniels' approach, Evelyn comes across as maybe first is evasive 
However, as the narrative starts to get unveiled, unveiled, you start to become more empathetic towards yeah, her. Yeah, she's an inversion of the femme fatale. Yeah. She starts off all aloof and mysterious and um, potentially deadly, but she becomes yeah. the vulnerable one at the very end. Yeah, a wee bit like uh, Kim Novak's uh, mm. Judy, you mm, could say, mm, mm. as well. So, I'm going to go to the uh, 1990s now. Uh, oh, nothing from the 80s? Uh, maybe. Okay. Uh, well, what I'll say is the rest is all mixed. Right. Uh, I'm going to go to Basic Instinct for 1993, and it's Catherine Trammell. Uh, there was one thing about Neil Noir's uh, I've done to classic films, uh, classic films couldn't do. It became more erotic. And Sharon Stone, she plays Trammell, and she gives, <laughs> I will say, one of the raunches and most iconic scenes ever, the iconic leg scene, which had, uh, if you like to say, Dad's under, hot under the collar and her son's trying to pause their DVD players at that uh, certain moment. And we, and we find ourselves in this one in San Francisco and Detective Nick Curran is played by the brilliant uh, Michael Douglas and he's investigating a murder which which where a man gets murdered uh, having sex but he gets killed with an ice pick and of course his writer girlfriend, who's Catherine Chamel, is the prime suspect. So the Paul I would say the film pushed on it to the A list in uh, Paul Verhoeven's thriller, which and his thriller does not hold back in any way from the sex or the violence. As well, as when it comes to the next uh, the sequel was it two, was it three? I can't remember, I lost count. But the second one was uh, very forgettable. Mm. Right, so, uh, I'm going to jump forward to about nine years ago, and it's Amy Dunn in Gone Girl. So this is Rosamund Pike's Amy, who's possibly one of the deadest of all the Femme Tales in this list. And she resorts to violence, including murder, if it helps her get her way. And some, once again, some may argue, is Gone Girl actually in a war? It's probably more, once again, a psychological thriller with a big slice in a war. However, uh, cinephiles, they know Femme Tales are not only for the, the film noir subgenre. And Pike, she plays a graphic designer who hates her husband, who's Nick, played by Ben Affleck. And one day she disappears, and people start to suspect she's been murdered by her husband, and obviously becomes the prime suspect. This is David Finch's film, which is like a study of the Femme Tale, showing the justification for her actions. But as we learn, she was a narcissistic sociopath who knew how to manipulate the men in her life as well. So the next one is several actresses over several decades, and that's uh, the Batman films and Selena, Selena Kyle with Catwoman. But obviously, if we stick to film noir, femme fatales, which uh, have comic books, there is several characters, especially in the Batman world. We could easily have done Poison Ivy here, you know, uh, but for this one, I've decided to go for Selena Kyle, who's one true f- uh, fatale who has gotten closest to Bruce Wayne or Batman's soul. Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, Tim Burton's Batman Returns, is probably the closest to that sort of truth in fatale, not the villain, and uh, the villain Catwoman in, the, the, in cinema. And she's iconic in many ways, from her, obviously a cat suit to the red lips. Her Betty Davis eyes, and you even see her voice as well. And she's got a ve- she had a very unhinged persona, and she played originally the the secretary 
of Max Shrek, who attempts to kill her by throwing her out a window. And she's only revived by the, the alleyway she's in by the cats. Then we have Anne Hathaway in Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight films. And she loved the glamour of the fashion as much as she had been the glamour of being a cat burglar. But she truly, truly loved uh, Bruce Wayne. To more recently, the Batman. We have Zoe Kravitz, uh, Selena. And she actually played more like, I feel like you see, a Robin Hood style Catwoman who seeks more revenge rather than stealing. But she actually obviously stole from the... the, the the, the, the rich, if you like to say. And then we're going to go back for the next one, back to the 1980s and 1982, and Matty ha- uh, Walker and Body Heat. You could say, is, is she Phyllis Dickerson in disguise? Possibly. Uh, Catherine Turner's Matty ha- uh, Walker is one of the best femme, Neil Noir femme fatales. She is a rich woman who has an affair with a lawyer, Ned, who's played by the brilliant but sadly missed uh, William Hart. I believe this was inspired by Double Identity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, with, uh, but throwing a more uh, erotic hedge, which many summer thrillers took during the decade, and obviously the 1990s. And and it's set during this, it's set in the sweaty and naughty fall of that heat. It was Turner's, believe it or not, it was actually Turner's debut role as well. And the film, that garnered many great reviews and, and her character, Matty, dupes Ned to call her husband only to leave Ned to clean up the mess as she goes in the 8 way world. And the difference between the old film noirs and, and, the, and the noirs of this era and even of nowadays, these killer ladies can get away with murder as well. And before I do some notables, eh, I'm going to pick eh, Rachel from Blade Runner, Sean, eh, Sean Young's Rachel, and to me, when you see her, she was like quite essential, had the quite essential 1940s film noir look, the fur coat, the dark swelling hair, the red lips again, the dark eyes, and obviously the, the cigarette, and and she was wanting, once again, which I think is another trope sometimes, is she was wanting for the film's villain, which was the, the, the Tyrell Corporation in Ridley Scott's film, but she was much as a victim because though she had no control over her life, that was simply because she was a replicant. And the memories that she had were actually false as well. However, she saves Harrison Ford's Deckard in this film, who during this story walks into something deeper and more dangerous. And Young's performance was fantastic. And, and how she kept that blank, blank expression throughout the film was wonderful. And this wins viewers as much viewers empathy as much as sympathy because she shows much of her vulnerability. So, as I said, this is not a full list. A few notables here, you get Rita from The Holland Drive, uh, Mrs. Gale from Farewell My Love, uh, Alex Forrest of Fatal Attraction, uh, the wonderful Catherine Deneuve from Miriam uh, The Hunger, uh, Catherine Mars from Scarlet Street, You've got Lynn Bracken from LA Confidential. You can look at uh, Inception's Mal, played played by Katine uh, Coutillard. And then the one, and then there you go, you've got Catherine Turner again with Jessica Rabbit mm-hmm. and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that's my list for this week. There you have it, folks. There's another episode 
now over of the uh, the Chronicle. Thank you once again for joining us. I do hope you enjoyed it. As I said in previous episodes, and I will say in future episodes, I am aiming to uh, release a new episode every few weeks. Please obviously comment and rate this episode. It does help the podcast get noticed by more and more people, as does sharing the, the episode with your friends and your family on social media. Most of all, what it does is supports the podcast. If you want to hear me in future episodes of Scary Monsters and Super Geeks, which are on video radio dot online, you can hear me most Tuesdays at 7 pm. Remember to join obviously the mail emailing list that'll keep you updated what I'm doing. As well, follow me on Twitter at CIF underscore UK, that's all capitals. And you can also follow me uh, on at the People's Movie at Facebook. And I've now started a, a Facebook page for the Chronicles and Film. Just type in Chronicles and Film and that'll bring you to that actual page. So, once again, thank you for listening to the Chronicle. Until the next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>